The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. Welcome in Between the Hashes, another episode here, week six of college football, week five of the NFL on the docket as we approach uh, what is one third of the way through a college football season already, which mind-boggling to me we're in october and we're already discussing a lot more than i thought we were going to be discussing in terms of uh, where we're at already five games done for some six games for others here we are though how you doing tony i'm okay and you know week six may be the magic week for the yukon huskies they play umass this week this could be the week that they finally break through to the uh to the ranks of teams that have won a game this season and, and to their credit since they got rid of etzel and the coaching, and they made a coaching switch. UConn has played better. I mean, they lost a very tough game to a very good Wyoming team. They played Vanderbilt well, so you know uh, this could could be a week of firsts in the case of UConn, the first week, first uh, win of the season, first win in about two years, I, I believe. It's it'd be the first win in two years for either program. I, I went back and looked it up. UMass last beat UConn, or UMass last beat Akron, and UConn last beat UMass. Those are their last two program victories, both coming in 2019. I. I didn't realize UConn-Vanderbilt was going to be the game of the week last week. That game was, I mean, obviously not. We're being dramatic here. But that was it was a lot of fun to watch. I, I was watching for the quarterbacks because I really wanted to see what they were doing at quarterback with Tyson Fomanchu, and he goes hurt, and they have changed the game plan. And UConn actually, I mean, there's some fun players. I like Ryan Vandemark, left tackle as well. I think he can move very well. So I, it should be, honestly, like if you, as fun as it is to say two winless teams is, is a, you know, one of the marquee games of the week. It actually is. It's a fun game to watch. If we're talking early nineties basketball, then this is like the game of the century too. So it's going to be a lot of fun. If you, if you find fun in college football, this game should be a lot of fun this weekend. So. I, I don't think it's going to be too much fun for UMass. I actually think UConn's going to put a, a beating on them and, and get all their, uh, their aggravation and their frustration out on the Minutemen. Could have could have beat the Commodores last week. Then we'd be talking about an all time low for an SEC program. Had Vanderbilt lost to UConn last week. So let's uh let's take a let's continue the retroactive look, the retrospective here. We are four weeks through the the NFL season. We have a good read or a good enough read to make some surprise picks. Or what what is the biggest rookie surprise in the NFL through their first month of action? Well, I'm I'm going to define surprises how they have done the way I projected them to uh, do. And and I got to go with the Daffy Jason Owa of the uh, Baltimore Ravens, because I, like many, thought it was mind boggling that they would take a guy who had no production in college the year before he entered the draft in the first round. He was the 31st pick of the draft by the Ravens. And he's played incredibly well. Seven tackles, two sacks, one forced fumble, almost single-handedly turned that game around in week two against the Kansas City Chiefs in the favor in the favor for the Baltimore Ravens went on to win a defensive player of the week in the NFL. So I think, Oh, right now is my biggest surprise compared to where I thought he would be. And you know what? Credit to the Baltimore Ravens, credit to their scouting staff, credit to their coaching staff. We've seen it with Lamar Jackson, you know, that they, they get players, they put players in positions to succeed. They put players in a position to use the talent to their uh, to their best uh, to the best ability in the NFL. They they uh, value the talent and the play over the system. And, and credit to Elway as well. I mean, he so far has made many of us, including myself, look like uh, we were the foolish ones on uh, you know questioning why he was the first round pick on draft day. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Now it takes into consideration. I don't know if it changes. It doesn't change any draft strategy, I'm sure, for anybody. But if you look at the athletic measurables for a guy like Owa, who 
scorches the Penn State 40, the entire pro day for that matter. I mean, scorched have put up record levels had they been at the combine and confirmed at the combine. So uh, you can't you can't necessarily coach athleticism into a player. And so maybe that's what they saw. If you're uh, if I'm stuck between a player, if I'm scouting players, I, I'd go with the higher athletic platform or, or proverbial ceiling, the higher ceiling for athleticism. So it's interesting. I, I like that he's doing it. I, it. It is a head scratcher, though. How do you not have production at the college level that athletic and then have production at the NFL level against better players? So to me, it's I like coaching. It. Listen, it's coaching. It's like I said, the, the very first podcast I did at Pro Football Network, uh, I, I said my biggest pet peeve with the NFL draft is people look at the draft as the end game. You know, who got the most right in their first round? Who got the most right in their top 100? The draft is not the end. It's just the beginning. And we're seeing that with a away and, and a bunch of other players for that matter. So let's keep it on the draft angle here. A lot of draft prospects on the University of Georgia yeah. defense. This defense comes out and does what no other team has been able to do against Arkansas, shuts them out, stops Traylon Burks, stops a lot of what Arkansas was doing offensively, runs over them 37-0. It wasn't like the best offensive performance of all time by any stretch of the imagination, but that defense was ridiculously talented. What we like from the Arkansas-Georgia game? Well, let's go back a week. I mean, Arkansas-Georgia was one of our big preview games. We wanted to see Traylon Burks against that stout uh, Georgia secondary with all those NFL prospects. Never got to see it because Arkansas never moved the football. I think what they have, uh, 167 yards total offense, uh, could not get a first down. It was consistent three and outs. I mean, Devontae Wyatt was my top one of my top rises this week, the defensive lineman from Georgia. He had a great game. He's had a solid season. Adam Anderson, uh, the pass rusher, the edge rusher, continues to develop his game. He's moving up draft boards. Jordan Davis, you know, you don't always see Jordan Davis's impact in the stats. You'll see maybe four tackles or two tackles and two assisted tackles. But that just tells a fraction of the story because he is so big. He is so athletic. He, he attracts so much attention by opponents on the offensive line. He allows Adam Anderson to get off the edge and one-on-one blocking and make plays behind the line of scrimmage. He allows Devontae Wyatt basically a three-technique tackle at 312 pounds to, to uh, beat his one-on-one coverage because Jordan Davis uh, teams have to game plan around because he can do so many things. So, I, I mean, I, I guess maybe we were reading too much into Arkansas and their fast start, and we forgot about the Georgia defensive line, which we shouldn't have done because those guys are – we've said it all year. I mean, the question with Georgia was the quarterback and the receivers – uh, because we knew their defense was going to be uh, outstanding, and their defense starts with that dominant defensive line. It was a lot of fun, both Devontae Wyatt and N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker, getting spots on our team of the week this week because of their performances. It feels like everybody wants a defensive lineman, especially an interior lineman, to put up impressive stat numbers like an Aaron Donald would. But that, to me, is he's an anomaly. Players in the interior that eat up double teams or complete, completely change offensive game plans are – uh, more common, I guess, is a better way to say it because no one's like Aaron Donald. But it's players like Davis that eat up the interior offensive line more than on more than half their snaps. I mean, this is this is a guy's a game record, an offensive game plan record at least. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, he can change direction and, and fly down the line of scrimmage, and get out in space, and, and pursue the action, pursue the ball handler. The ball handler has to uh, alter his angle of attack of his run and maybe miss the clear space and run into a linebacker. So, like I said. Stats tell a fraction of the story with Jordan Davis. He's going to be, I think, at worst, a second-round pick. Because of the lack of defensive tackle, we talked about this earlier, he could move higher. He's having a terrific season, 
and the sky's the limit with that guy. I love it. I, I, I was asked how many players I think could be draftable in the Georgia defense. And are, are, honestly, I, I don't really have a number because it just keeps yeah. going up. And right. at that point, if you talk about the longevity of this defense, I'm sure there are guys on the, on the two deep as well that are going to be drafted in their eventual draft classes. This defense is stacked. And I mean, again, if they had a quarterback, this is the best team in the country just based on the defense alone. But at this point, get some plus play from a quarterback. And we're at Alabama, Georgia, and then the rest of the field. So a team that's going to sneak in, maybe. Their fingers are crossed. They've done what they need to do through their non-conference schedule. They're out of conference schedule. They need to run the table in the AAC, in my opinion, to get into the college football playoff. But Cincinnati takes on Notre Dame. They defeat Notre Dame. This game overall, what did you see? What did you like? And who who are we talking about after this game now? Yeah, I mean, Cincinnati came out from the get-go and just beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame tried to furiously come back. Uh, I think uh, this is further proof. What we alluded to last week, maybe Notre Dame needs a permanent change at the quarterback position. Uh, but again, you know, we, we talked about the uh, Georgia defense. The Cincinnati defense is good. They're not Georgia good, but they are really good, especially in the secondary. Alec Pierce, the wide receiver, again, had a phenomenal game. He was good against Indiana, came up big in the important spots of the game. Six receptions for 144 yards. Yesterday in the mailbag, the mailbag is back, so get your questions out there, even if uh, even if they're condescending or confrontational. I don't care. <laughs> I, I like the Zeppelin questions. I don't get too many of them. But I, as I mentioned in the mailbag yesterday about Alec Pierce, I think the question that I and scouts have about him, it's not his size. It's not his pass-catching ability. It's his speed. I'm told that Alec Pierce is going to test off the charts at the combine or pro day workouts or both. I'm told the 40 is going to be in the four fours, which is a full tenth faster than what scouts expect. I'm told the vertical jump is going to be close to 40 inches. I was told that in high school, he was the only kid in his high school who could dunk a basketball, uh, which you know ch- tells you something about his explosion. And on top of that, he's really improved his game. He was good last year. He's been phenomenal this year, Alec Pierce. Uh, in the uh, early portion of the year, you know, catching a lot of Desmond Ritter's wayward throws, uh, making big plays when when the big plays are needed. And if he has the type of workouts that I'm here he's capable of, I think Alec Pierce is a day two prospect at the receiver position. He's a he's an Illinois kid. They breed some pretty good basketball players, if memory serves. So, uh... you know, the other kids, the other thing is this is, you know, I mentioned uh, Kobe Bryant, uh, the cornerback. Uh, from Cincinnati. He's been injured most of the year. I thought he played phenomenal against Notre Dame. He's been a solid player for three years at Cincinnati. Everybody talks about Ahmad Gardner when they talk about the cornerback prospects uh, in that Bearcat secondary. Keep an eye on Kobe Bryant. He's going to be a good late-round pick. I think he'll be a good dime back in the next level. Javon Hicks, the safety, he had a real good game against Notre Dame. Don't know if he gets drafted, but he's someone that's going to be signed as a priority free agent, could make it as a ninth defensive back special teams player. And Curtis Brooks, the defensive lineman, was not even graded by scouts coming into the season. I gave him a priority free agent grade. He's a three-technique type, four tackles against Notre Dame, uh, 16 tackles for the season. Again, stats don't matter, but if you watch the – if you watch Brooks, very explosive off the snap. He's a, He's got incredible quickness. He beats blockers uh, off the ball, penetrates the uh, the line of scrimmage, and makes quarterbacks move their feet or makes the running backs change direction. So that's another guy to keep on. Again, don't think Curtis Brooks is going to be drafted, but absolutely be signed as a free agent. I think he's going to add some depth to a, a four-man front the next level. And we're just, we're the, just the, the, growth the growth of Cincinnati. Of Cincinnati. 
yeah. this defense that we've seen from the fickle era now. It, what, 2016, there was just Marquis Copeland, in the defensive tackle that we talked about on that defense. And now you're talking about a, a secondary that has a handful of NFL draft caliber players, just not this year, last year, James Wiggins, Arquan Bush, all these guys on the Cincinnati team that are, I mean, there's a reason that they're up there in the college football playoff discussion this year. I think, again, like I said, they got to they gotta win out. They got to look good in the American Athletic Conference schedule. They can't afford a loss to UCF randomly like they've done over the past few years. So Cincinnati, they're on the, uh, the outside looking in, but I think, honestly, the Big Ten will have to cannibalize themselves going forward. So that's going to free up a spot to be one of the top four teams in the country. It's very interesting, a lot more football to play. Obviously, and it's, it, what's to mind-boggling play. to me is that Luke Fickle is still at Cincinnati because <laughs> yeah. in my mind, this is the most underrated coach in America. You mentioned about how they've developed their talent. They've had better recruiting classes. They still have a first-round pick. I mean, my Jay Sanders, is, who's a good player, I mean, I grade him as a second-round pick. Scouts, I know, think think my Jay Sanders is a late-round choice. I don't agree with that, but we know this. I don't think he's going to be a first-round choice. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, I mean, Fickle beats these big-time programs, beat Georgia last year in a bowl game. Granted, Georgia was probably uh, not too happy playing in that bowl game, uh, but I mean, good for Cincinnati. Credit to Luke Fickle. And, you know, boo on all these other programs that continually pass this guy up because he is a sensational coach. Yep. It's uh, I love him. I, I I was in Columbus when he was still here and saw him at a bar, met and talked to him. And I mean, the guy is as personable as he is a great coach, too. I had a lot of fun talking with Fickle. I, I love what he's done with Cincinnati, having been a Cincinnati resident for a few years myself, too. So good for the program. Good for the American Athletic Conference for however long they can keep uh, having good teams in their conference. That's a discussion for another day. Let's look forward. That was enough look back. The 13th game in a row that Texas is an underdog to Oklahoma. The old Red River rivalry, Red River shootout, whatever you want to call it nowadays. Oklahoma versus Texas. Previewing this game, obviously Spencer Rattler takes the the majority of the discussion points going forward. But Oklahoma versus Texas, what are we looking for? Yeah, well, I I think all the previews this week are going to be based on or the theme will be quarterback opportunities. Now, the Red River rivalry holds a special place in my heart. I mean, literally a month after the attacks of 9-11-2001, I actually traveled to Dallas to go to this game. I was like, because I, I'm 45 minutes uh, north of Midtown Manhattan. I lost a very good friend uh, during those attacks, a fireman, Joey Spore. Uh, so I was like, you know, my wife and I were going to go. She didn't want to. She didn't want to fly. I flew to this game. The plane was 99% empty. Everyone was looking over their shoulder. I'll never forget it. And it was just a slice of heaven. Texas State Fair, uh, the Cotton Bowl, which I remember, you know, uh, as a youth, uh, was Lindy Nelson calling the Cotton Bowl game. So I, I you know, I, I really like this game for a variety of reasons. What are we looking for? I mean, Spencer Rattler, can he get out of his doldrums? Can he really p- finally put a team away? I mean, Texas has one of the, one of the Texas's defense is ranked near the bottom on the bottom half in the Big Twelve. They do have some next-level defensive backs, cornerback Deshaun Jamison, Josh Thompson, the cornerback safety, B.J. Foster, the uh, the safety. I don't know if Foster's going to be drafted. I believe the other two players will, but Foster will be signed as a uh, priority free agent. So, I mean, number one, you know, can Rattler basically pound this Texas defense that has had trouble at times or for most of the season stopping uh, opponents? 
And then the other one is, can Nick Benito, their outstanding pass rusher, get off the snide? He's probably going to be matched up against Christian Jones, the left tackle of Texas, a guy who I like, but someone who's played been up and down this year. I mean, Benito last year was a monster, could not stop him. Ronnie Perkins leaves, he's playing in the NFL. All of a sudden, Benito's job has gotten a little bit more difficult. He's, in a, he's an explosive athlete. He's shown himself to be a terrific pass rusher. This game, I want to see if these two highly rated NFL prospects, Spencer Rattler at the top, Nick Benito, who a lot of people don't talk about, can finally get off the snide and start getting some momentum going in the right direction. Yeah, I, I, the talk obviously goes to Rattler because when you're penciled in as a potential number one, obviously the the decline is there. It's palpable. You can look at it. But Benito getting some mock drafts I saw preseason, you know, he was in the top 15. I don't know where it was, but I saw it. You don't, you don't talk about that, the decline of a defensive player, an edge rusher especially. Uh, so this is interesting. I like I like bringing up these kinds of players here. I like bringing up these kinds of players everywhere. Obviously, this is a game for him to, to, to showcase. DeMarvian Overshone, the linebacker at Texas yeah. as well, should have a big impact or could have a big impact at run-stuffing linebacker who can play. I like Overshone. I know that our the rest of our draft team at Pro Football Network likes Overshone as well. So that's a good one. And then maybe not another another game to talk about here. Same vein, quarterback, possibly number one overall pick if he was able to show enough. Sam Howell, UNC, hosting the Florida State Seminoles, who also got off the proverbial schneid last weekend with their first Barely. season, uh, the fourth win of the Mike Norvell era at FSU, which it pains me to my soul to say that they're, they've only won four games in a year and a half. But that's uh, I'll put my seminal love on, on, on the side, on the back burner here, and we can discuss Florida State versus North Carolina on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, if Spencer Rattler's play has been disappointing, Sam Howell's play has not been good this year. Now, uh, it was I believe it was 18-32 against Duke with three TDs. And no interceptions. You like he protected the ball. You would have liked probably a higher percentage completion against Duke. Although Duke does have a decent secondary, it's going up against Florida State, and Florida State has the worst ranked defense in the ACC. They've given up more touchdowns than any other defense in the ACC. They do have Jermaine Johnson, the Georgia transfer, who's playing very well. Five and a half sacks and seven and a half tackles for loss in the team's five games. He's really one of the few players that is uh, on the upswing. Uh, but you want to see if Sam Howell can continue to build upon the momentum that he started last week against Duke uh, because he's going to have to do that because, you know, teams are not happy with what they saw. I mean, the big uh, the narrative coming into this year was, well, Howell lost his two starting receivers. He lost two real good running backs who are playing well in the NFL right now. But he did bring back a, uh, a veteran offensive line, and you got to deal, you know, the hand that you're dealt. And thus far, up until last week, it's not been good for Sam Howell. So he's got to really build on the momentum and finish strong the last, what, two and a half months of the season. Yeah, I thought that Howell could cement his place as the number one quarterback and the clear-cut consensus number one if he elevated this year. It was the, the, the discussion was how does he handle a new team and new players and skill players. If he elevated them, he's the first pick overall because he's got some of the most of the intangibles you'd want. He has not done that, and so he's got a long way to go. Uh, throwing against an FSU secondary should uh, do wonders for your confidence, um, especially if you're as talented or it should do numbers for him. So I love Jermaine Johnson. Syracuse game planned around him, and so they sort of mitigated his impact, but that's the impact was there. They had to game plan away from him and sort of get their quarterbacks, Garrett Schrader, who's not really a downfield passing threat on the move in order to move the ball. So Johnson is a, is a fun player. That's a, Those are the individual players to watch in FSU versus North Carolina. 
And then if you're a fan of the show, or if you're a fan of myself or Tony, I know Mac football is among our favorites. Mac football is my favorite conference. If I had to choose, I live in the Mac backyard, even though I live in Columbus, I'm uh, two hours away from half of the conference schools. I'll be at multiple games this season. Once midweek action starts going to Athens very soon. So I'm very excited about the Mac season. Now that we're in Mac conference play coming up here though, ball state versus Western Michigan, a player that some are talking about, but a lot will talk about. I'm sure that we'll talk about now Western Michigan quarterback, Caleb Ellaby and his prognosis, but ball state versus Western Michigan. You know, Ellaby is a guy, you know, as you mentioned, he doesn't get a lot of talk except on pro football network. And I know that he, he does get a lot of, uh, does got a lot of mention in scouting circles. Scouts really like him a lot. I'm told it's very likely that LB is going to enter the draft. Now, played Michigan in the beginning of the uh, the first game of the season, started off strong and kind of petered out, uh, beat up Pittsburgh uh, in that that win. This could be his toughest challenge in the MAC conference as the schedule kicks off in that conference. Uh, Ball State's got two defensive backs, Amechi Odezima, who could potentially be a late-round pick, probably more of a priority free agent. Bryce Crosby comes back for a second senior season, guy that scouts don't talk about, uh, who is a real good player, primarily between the numbers, downhill type of safety, but he's smart and he's tough. Western Michigan does not play Miami of Ohio this year. They don't play the Red Hawks, and they have what I I believe is the best secondary in the MAC. So this could be Ellaby's toughest test you know, coming off that uh, upset victory against Pittsburgh keeps the momentum going. Uh, RPO type of quarterback, you know, again, I, I don't think he's got huge upside, but it's what the NFL wants these days at that position. Uh, so it's a big game for him. It's a big game for Western Michigan as well. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a fan of Ellaby. I'm a fan of Sky Moore, the receiver at Western Michigan as well. He made that catch last weekend where literally the defensive back's arm was covering his face mask. And I don't know how he saw the ball. He just felt it and it hit his hands and he makes the catch. It was a great throw from Ellaby as well. Ellaby number 20 on our college football starting quarterback rankings. Yes. I ranked 130 college quarterbacks this week. So it might've taken me away from some other things, but uh, 13,770 words later, we are sitting pretty at ranking 130 quarterbacks. Ellaby number 20. On there didn't even crack the top 10 of group of five quarterbacks in my ranking those check it out profootballnetwork.com let's move on though we're talking about the draft we're talking about college football we're talking about stories on profootballnetwork.com you do rises and sliders every week for the 2022 nfl draft a player specifically we want to talk about right now minnesota right tackle daniel daniel Falele. if you have not seen this man i don't know how yeah. a massive man on the right side of the minnesota offensive line opted out of last season, but I know you want to talk about Falele and his rise from this past weekend. Yeah, well, he, well, not just this weekend. I mean, he, he uh, handled George Karlaftis pretty pretty much regularly when they met in, in uh, one-on-one situations. Karlaftis, when he was placed over the left side, almost had his way. I mean, there were double and, and triple team in him. He was still getting penetration up against Falele. He was uh, – uh, he, he was, Falele was able to basically handle him. Falele's done well. I mean, you noticed him in the Ohio State uh, game. He's a big, massive man, like you said, uh, who's very athletic. He doesn't move like a guy that's 375 pounds. He moves, uh, you know, he, he was a riser this week in my column, and I mentioned that he moves more like a zone-blocking guard than he does someone who's pushing almost 400 pounds. What I also said was Falele may be a little bit too big for some teams, which caught people by surprise, and a lot of people said, you know, what do you mean by that? 
And, and there is a faction, there is a thinking in, in some parts of the league that when you have linemen that are long-limbed and Philele goes six, eight and a half, that's not a good thing. Long limb, you don't want the high hip guys. You want the guys that's got uh, low center of gravity. But the guys with the long limbs, it leads to a lot of injuries. They usually don't have longevity. Now, you do have guys like Bryant McKinney, who have been very successful. Mount but a lot of people here in New York believe that's the problem with Mekki Becton. I mean, Mekki Becton, when he's on the field, has been dominant for the New York Jets, uh, you know, at the left tackle position. And he was a massive man. But he's been injured bits and pieces of his first two years. He can't stay on the field. And a lot of people believe, again, because he's a long-limbed guy who's very tall, and that just does not really project well to longevity in the NFL. So it could be a situation where teams, while they like Philele, they would say, you know what, we don't like the body type because body type is always a, a huge thing uh, in the NFL as far as the, the uh, scouting process is concerned. And then the body type is broken down for teams that are looking for specific players. And when you get a guy that's six, eight and a half. The fact that he's just six, eight and a half is going to turn some teams off and they may just take him off the board for the first 100 picks. Granted, he's going to go day two, but there are some teams that are going to say, I don't like him. I don't like his body type. I'm not taking an offensive lineman that's over six foot six. I'm definitely not taking an offensive lineman at six, eight and a half. So, so that's what you mean by teams will be turned off by his size? By his length, by his length, specifically the, the, the length of his legs, because the legs are very exposed. The legs get a lot of hits. doesn't have to be intentional. It could be somebody just rolling up on a guy's leg, as we've seen time and time again. Uh, that's what happened to Thibodeau. When Thibodeau missed the early part of the season, you know, his teammate rolled up on his, uh, on his ankle. Uh, but when you get a guy that's six, eight and a half, I mean, his legs are longer than, you know, the, the average human being. His legs are longer than, than tall human beings. Uh, and when you have that type of exposure to limbs, long limbs like that, that is a concern in some areas of the league by some teams, by some uh, scouting directors and coaches. I, you know, it's that's funny you say that because that makes way too much sense in my right. opinion. Because that's I'm always, uh, no matter what, I'm always now that I'm a dad to multiple children, I, I watch and I fear for the kids that are playing offensive line when the running backs come tumbling in, and then all of a sudden other defensive players are coming in and. They're just standing there. They can't see behind them. They're going to get rolled up. I, I cringe now nowadays sometimes when I see something's happening and you can witness. But, yeah, a lot of exposure uh, to a leg. That's interesting to me. I like a team like the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, This is a question, I guess, for you too. Jordan Mylata, also a rugby, Australian rugby player as well, 6'8", 345, not quite 380 or 375 that Philele is. But does a team like that make sense if they've seen success with a very similar at least – from a geographic standpoint and a size standpoint to bring Philele in at right tackle. They have the luxury to of Lane Johnson being under contract for another three years. So you can learn under a guy like Lane Johnson, not have to play, be a spot starter maybe if necessary. But does that help having a guy like Jordan Mailata, 6'8", 345, and proving to be a pretty solid starter at left tackle for the Eagles? Or even Lane Johnson, who's pretty tall himself, who was, you know, a, a former tight end. I, it, it's the type of player it's, you know, again, it's sort of like medical reports when it comes to the combine. It's not broad brush. Not every team views it the same. Some team will medically red flag a guy. Other teams will look at the medical reports and say, this is fine with me. Some teams will look at a offensive lineman that's six, seven, six, seven and a half, six foot eight. Say, we've got no problem with that. Other teams will be like, we don't have, you know, we don't like that. We don't have luck with that. We don't, uh, we, we think that it, there's too much potential there for injury and not enough longevity. So to answer your question, yes, 
That's why it'll go organization by organization. Not even really organizations. The guy who's making the decisions for that organization. There you go. So I have it. Uh, that's that's interesting. I I, I I like that fit almost too much. It almost makes sense to have two Australian rugby players bookending for uh, a quarterback other than Jalen Hurts. But that's a that's another discussion for a different day because I don't think the Eagles win too many games when Jalen Hurts is their starting quarterback. I, I find Falele's growth and rise very interesting. He opted out last year. But he didn't – I have it on very good accord from somebody I heard that he did not work out all COVID season. The the offseason, the summer camp, the spring camp, when he wasn't at University of Minnesota, came back, showed up well over 400 pounds. Uh, so him being back down, slim down to 375 shows, I think, what happens if you can get him into a workout system and workout regimen. Maybe he does drop down a little bit and he stands six, eight and a half, three sixty. 360. We'll see. He's a he's an interesting guy to watch. He's fun to watch play college football at least. Uh, it will be fun to watch his career unfold in the NFL. So let's keep going. The NFL pieces on profootballnetwork.com, the 2022 NFL draft, the big board. You may surprise people with this. Maybe you won't. Maybe you will. The strongest position group coming up for the 2022 NFL draft. What is it? Right now it looks like it's going to be tight end. I mean, the past two years, it's been receiver far and away, historic classes with receiver, great players at the top, a lot of depth. Receiver is going to be off this year, but tight end is the position to watch. I mean, and it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, a lot of the top tight ends who would have impacted the 2020 draft decided to go back for their senior season. Kate Otten of Washington, uh, Charlie Kohler, Iowa State, Isaiah Likely of uh, Coastal Carolina, Jake Ferguson of Wisconsin. And those are all guys that project as day two choices. Then you have a lot of new talent coming in. Obviously, I shouldn't say new talent, but guys that are now draft eligible who have been productive throughout their college career. Career, Obviously, Jalen Weidermeyer of Texas A&M, who stands atop the board. I like Sam Laporta of uh, Iowa. Jay Leal Billingsley, who looks like a big receiver, big possession receiver from Alabama at the tight end position. Greg Dulcich of uh, UCLA has really taken his game to the next level. Austin Strogner is another guy from Oklahoma. So you're looking at the tight end position right now where I've got nine players that are graded as top 100 picks. you got Jeremy Ruckert on the outside looking in. He could eventually be a a top 100 pick. you got James Mitchell. It'll be interesting to see the decision that he makes. A lot of people thought Mitchell of Virginia Tech should have entered last year's draft. He didn't. Uh, gets injured this year. Now he's out for the season. Does he return? Does he enter the draft? If he enters the draft, he's going to be a late-round pick. But, I mean, you look at the depth. Trey McBride of Colorado State. Josh Wiley of Cincinnati, who's not having the season. A lot of people, including myself, expected, but he's still loved in in, uh, the scouting world. Cole Turner of Nevada, who really doesn't get a lot of mention, who's uh, very athletic. Uh, Grant Calcaterra, who's now at SMU, the former Oklahoma tight end, who's playing really well. The question with him is not ability. The question with him is medicals. I mean, he basically retired from Oklahoma because of uh, all the concussions he had. Trey Berry of uh, Boston College. Uh, Utah's got a pair of uh, tight ends, Cole Fotheringham and and Brian Queef. Uh, Torino of Oregon State, Nick Muse of South Carolina, on and on and on. I mean, right now on my board, I said I've got, what, nine top 100 picks uh, with Ruckert uh, of Ohio State on the outside looking in. I got 29 tight ends with draftable grades for all draftable players. So there's quality at the top and there's quantity through the uh, rounds at the tight end position. 
That's interesting to me because all those names to me sound <laughs> like dominant players that are among the best on their team as well, especially obviously not a Cole Turner where Carson Strong takes the cake, the, all the talk and Romeo Dubes. So I love Cole Turner. I love a lot of those players. Calcaterra and Tanner Mordecai lighting it up, two former Oklahoma guys for SMU this season. Mordecai number four on our quarterback rankings, my quarterback rankings, excuse me. So speaking of the quarterback class, Titans are very strong. Quarterbacks, I just talked about two of them. We talked about Howell and Rattler. The latest on the quarterback class for the 2022 NFL draft. What do you got? You know, it's interesting. I talked with somebody who I've known for years, and this guy knows quarterbacks in and out. And he said, you know, my concern about the quarterbacks is of the top quarterbacks or the perceived top quarterbacks for the 2022 draft, not one of them is taller than six foot two. He said, in fact, they're probably all going to measure. Under six foot two, you got Spencer Rattler, who's what, maybe six one, Malik Willis, who's probably a shade over six foot tall, even Sam Howell, who goes about six foot one. I mean, maybe you got Carson Strong, who's number four on that list, who's probably about six ten, if you look at him, a six nine, whatever he is. But you know, he says there's no, I don't, I don't think there's ever been a year where of your top quarterbacks, you haven't had at least one of them that was not at least six foot two. When you go back and look at last year, the shortest quarterback of the top quarterbacks last year under what five draft in the top 15 picks was six, two of the top quarterbacks this year. None of them are going to be six, uh, six foot two. And he says, you know, you can talk about the Kyler Murray's who seems to be coming in his own in the Baker Mayfield's. He said, Tom Brady is still the standard. Tom Brady's still the standard because he wins. I mean, he can't be beat. Uh, and that is something that is disturbing some people that the fact is we don't have any, you know, taller quarterbacks. You usually want to see a guy that's at least six foot two traditionally, classically, if you would, there's nobody of that, nobody of that ilk this year. And then you factor in the fact that, like we said earlier, Rattler has been not lived up to expectations. Howell's not playing that well. We said last week, everybody loves Malik Willis. And while Malik Willis has played well, not lighting it on fire, you know, with, with huge numbers. And now you get into the measurements of these guys. You also want to see eventually what their hand sizes are, because hand sizes are very important for the quarterback position. Uh, but that is a concern that's been raised by a couple people, especially this one source who, I, you know, I trust everything he says about the quarterbacks because he's almost genius at the position. We've come a long way from where it was Baker Mayfield and is he too right. short? And we're di dissecting every quarter of an inch that Baker Mayfield checks in at. Then Kyler breaks the mold and, both of them doing well in their own regard. We'll see what Baker does. Uh, but but, but I mean, the thing is, this is, have we come a long way? Because, okay, those guys are well. But like he said, you know, Tom Brady is still the standard, okay? And, and until the Kyler Murrays and the Baker Mayfield start winning, you know, uh, Super Bowls on a consistent basis, you know, it's still going to be the six, two and a half uh, signal caller, even if the six foot one or five, 11 and a half quarterback is, turns out to be the first pick of the draft. Right. I see it. And I, I also look at it from a longevity standpoint, too, because look at the guys that have been around for a long time and the guys that stay for a long time. Brady, whatever, he breaks the mold. Manning, huge. Matthew Stafford is a guy who's been around for a lot longer than I think people give credit for or understand. Roethlisberger. Six, three, six, four, Roethlisberger. Big right. Ben for a reason. Yeah, so I, I like it. The standard is Tom Brady, obviously, for more reasons than one. I guess. And it's funny because during that conversation, you know, we talked about Lamar Jackson a bit and he said, you know, I like Lamar Jackson. He said, but my concern about Lamar Jackson is, is every time I see him uh, when the play's over, he's on the field, he's on the ground. He either took a hit 
because he, you know, he doesn't want to slide when he's running the ball or he's doing a backflip or a front flip and he's landing on his hip after a touchdown. He says that's not going to lead to longevity and, you know, taking those type of hits and always ending up on the field, which is what a lot of the why a lot of these RPO quarterbacks are brought in because they can make plays in the pocket. They can make plays outside the pocket. Uh, they can also make plays with their feet. You know, let's see how. Obviously, it's going to take some time, but let's see how Josh Allen does compared to the Baker Mayfields and the Kyler Murrays moving forward. Uh, you know, I guess the answer to this uh, this conversation will be seen five, six, seven years down the road when we compare Josh Allen to all these Smurf quarterbacks who were uh, who were selected. <laughs> that can be said for so many different things, but this one I like. I like we're gonna I'm gonna we're gonna bring this up in five, six years here when uh, Josh Allen resets go. the market again. Hold me to it. Yeah. All right, good. I'm sure they will. I, I look forward to it. So let, let's keep the discussion going, though, because a guy, yes, yeah, six, he's not quite 6'10", but Carson Strong, a big man, the biggest guy of, of this, uh, the commonly referred to quarterbacks for the first round, first, you know, one or two days of the NFL draft. Carson Strong, we like. I like him from Nevada. I think he's a, a very good quarterback, a very good college quarterback. Commenting again one more time on my college football quarterback rankings, Sixth right now, just uh, just took the spot above Jake Hayner. I had Hayner above him. Hayner throws multiple interceptions against Hawaii. That game is going to be a lot of fun for me. Hawaii versus, or sorry, excuse me, Nevada versus uh, Fresno State. But Carson Strong, I think we, we you might have some news on some Carson Strong news here a bit. Uh, two things. One thing that I've mentioned time and time again, which people I've spoken with in the league agree with me, and that's the offense that the Carson Strong is playing presently playing in Nevada is doing nothing good for his next level career. I mean, it's not really developing him as a passer. Here is the news. I've heard this from multiple people. Evidently, Carson Strong had a significant, if not major knee injury in high school. And it's something that's going to have to be really inspected closely when he enters the NFL draft. And some people think it could be a problem. It could be a red flag. It could be something Aziz Ojalari-like where Ojolari was a guy who had uh, injuries primarily in high school, which red flagged him. And he went from what everyone thought was a first round pick to what a mid second round choice, bottom half a round two choice. I believe it was a bottom half of round two choice because of the injuries, not his play because of the injuries that he suffered in high school. So keep an eye, keep this in the back of your head as we get closer to the draft. If Carson strong uh, enters the draft, I don't have any information that he's leaning that way. But evidently, he suffered a significant inju- a significant knee injury in high school, which has raised some red flags from people on the outside looking in. It's something that's going to be closely inspected, uh, I, you know, at medical combines at uh, when he goes in for uh, official visits to teams. You always hate, you always hate to hear that, hear about, that about, uh, about players, players, especially, especially when it's as, as high school. But it's important. Uh, unfortunately, injuries are a part of life. And your your team is your quarterback's your lifeblood. So that's uh it's unfortunate. He's played unlike uh, a guy who's had a significant knee injury before. It seems like at least in his college career. So maybe he's got it behind him. But yeah, hey, uh, good thing to. But know. again, you know, also understand not, maybe but, a potential fall if that were the case too. Good thing to understand that maybe that's why you know come next April. You got to remember, it's not that it, teams don't look at the the injury, a high school injury that it may be behind him and that he's playing well. They're looking at it, is this going to, you know, we talked about long limb offensive linemen not having longevity. Is this an injury that's going to shorten his longevity? Is he going to make it, you know, to a second contract? Is it something that can rear its ugly head? 
they don't care if it's is it a degenerative type of condition. They don't care if it's behind them. They are concerned of whether or not it can be an issue three, four, five years down the road. Fair enough. Makes sense. Getting to that rookie con, that second contract. Now I got a story idea, which GMs are best at getting to the second contract uh, coming up on profootballnetwork.com. I'm sure we can get there at some point. All right. Another two, uh, another two guys, or at least another team to talk about with news pertaining to the 2022 NFL draft. We didn't hear a lot of Jalen Catalan at Arkansas and Traylon Burks this past weekend against nope. Georgia. We did not, we, I mean, I think Burks had one catch was largely limited and kept out of the game. Catalan against uh, Georgia. I mean, he was tasked with very difficult situations. They had short fields all the time, but still didn't make quite the impact that you would want a guy like him to make against Georgia. So what are we hearing from the Arkansas duo? Yeah, people in Arkansas are people who are intimate with the program tell me very likely both Catalan and Burks will both enter the draft. Not a surprise from Burks, probably not a surprise from Catalan. Now, what are the views of both players right now? I spoke with a source who said, you know, Catalan is a big-time talent. He's an incredible athlete. He's very explosive has some stiffness in him because he's just his body's wound so tight. Basically, he's muscle-bound, uh, which they believe leads to a bit of stiffness in him. He looks like he's going to burst out of his skin, but they think he's a big-time talent. As far as Burks is concerned, we share the same concern about Burks. People love watching Burks because he's a big receiver who flies down the sideline, beats opponents, and catches 40, 50, 60-yard touchdown catches. But we've never seen him run any routes. And, you know, it's great that the guy runs, you know, deep routes. He runs nine routes and he can run past people, but he's got to show the ability to run some routes and get some separation through quickness and through route running on underneath coverage rather than just running by people because you're not going to be able to do that on Sunday. Both agreed that he's going to be a second-day pick, but we'll both agreed that in some areas, Burks right now is being overrated primarily because of the highlight reels, because what you see, you know, like what we saw against Texas A&M, what was an 80, 85-yard touchdown catch? That looks great. Everybody says, hey, fantastic first-round pick. That's not what scouts are looking for. They want to see that this guy can quickly get in and out of routes, stay low, separate from defenders, and make the reception with balance. Burks hasn't shown that yet, which is why, or until he does, the conversation and narrative of him being a first-round pick in the 2022 draft really shouldn't take place. Yeah, Traylon Burks' route tree is a straight line. It's yeah. a nine-route straight down. Nine the field. That's all he's got so far. Uh, it's dramatic. It's fun. It's really cool to watch if you're, you know, a fan of wide receiving highlight plays, not if you're a fan of wide receivers, because that's it. There's no, that's all he's got in his bag of tricks. At least that's all he's shown. Now, not saying that maybe the Arkansas offense is not allowing him some, that's another, another study or diagnosis, but yeah, that's, um, it's always interesting, but they don't need him to, they don't need him to, the objective for Texas A&M right now uh, for Arkansas right now is to win games. And if winning games means, Having uh, Traylon Burks just run as fast as he can down the sidelines of the field and have the quarterback throw the ball, that's what works. They don't have to really, you know, they probably could have used some of that route running against Georgia to uh, to move the ball a little bit better or move the ball at all, I should say. Uh, but Arkansas hasn't needed him to do that yet. And they're going with what they uh, what, what's what's working for them. Yep. It's a it's a one trick pony show until we see otherwise. So it's, it's fun to watch sometimes. But you, you tipped your cap next. Uh, next one up. Texas A&M, we saw Burks. I think it was like only three catches for 170-something yards or whatever against A&M, two long catches, and then that was largely it. Texas A&M, they had a chance this year. They really had a chance as a college football playoff team. 
that's gone by the wayside now. AM is now struggling. And the comparisons of Jimbo Fisher to Kevin Sumlin are going to keep coming from those uh, from meme accounts, from fun accounts on social media. But they're actually having some sort of basis to them the more of the games Jimbo loses with a stacked roster. So what's the recent word on Texas A&M and their prospects for the 2022 NFL draft? Yeah, I, I talked to a couple of people about Isaiah Spiller, the uh, running back, who's actually my number two running back on my big board at Pro Football Network, which I believe has been posted, uh, as to whether or not he's going to come out. I didn't get any definite word. They said when they spoke with Spiller over the summer, his response was like, hey, I'm 19 years old. I'm just worried about the college game. But they feel that as you get closer and closer, we move through the season, Spiller will eventually decide to enter the draft. He's 19 years old in August, which means uh, he was 20 years old in August, which means when the 2022 season starts, NFL season starts, he'll be just turned 21 years old. But at the time when people are talking about it, he's like, look, I'm 19. I'm not worried about the NFL right now. I'm worried about my college game. They feel right now the needle's probably leaning towards Isaiah Spiller uh, and to enter the draft. The other guy to keep an eye on that's gaining a lot of momentum was my week one sleeper. That is that is left tackle Jameer Johnson, the Tennessee transfer who started his uh, college career at Rhode Island. Remember, Kenyon Green, who's everybody's favorite offensive lineman, was slated to start at left tackle but uh, this year for the Aggies. But uh, Jameer Johnson has played so well, they've left him at left tackle. And he is a terrific player. The problem with Johnson is, is he bounced around so much in college, he never really developed this game, never really developed at one position. Now, teams are not sold that he's going to be left tackle in the next level. They think he has the size and body type to be a guard in the NFL. But Jameer Johnson, who was completely ignored by scouts coming into the season <clears throat> looks like he's a guy who's going to play in a postseason all-star game whether it be the shrine game whether it be the senior bowl and will end up as a day three pick and a legitimate next level player uh, on the op- for the offensive line i remember uh the first time i heard of his name for the when i was looking at the season and listening to conferences press conferences i think it was sec media days where jimbo even joked about how he wasn't going to keep green at left tackle because of this play. I mean, yeah. that was that made waves, that made shockwaves, sort of. But then it, it he he spun it as this is how versatile Green is, and we like him everywhere on the line. So uh, it's, it, it helped the narrative of some who love Kenyon Green and have him on their the near tops of their boards. So A and M sort of fallen by the wayside in the uh, the rankings, but they're still going to have quite a few players. I think in terms of Spiller too, the more hits you take in the SEC schedule, yeah. as the it only gets more difficult for him going forward. Uh, you're not going to win something. You're probably not going to win the SEC next year if you come back. So stop taking those college hits from SEC defenders and uh, go make some money or more money in the NFL if you're Isaiah Spiller. Yeah, and he's he's an explosive guy. He's a three-down guy. He can run on the inside. He can turn the corner. He's a good pass catcher. And like I said, I, I mean, after Brees Hall, who I, I think is David Montgomery with a lot more speed, uh, he's my number two back. I don't know he's going to be a first-round pick. I think he's more of a second-round pick, but we rarely see running backs go in the first round these days. It's hard to value them nowadays when they like, like 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 we talked about getting to a second contract. They rarely get to second contracts nowadays, or it's a benchmark when they do. So that was it. We we wrapped about a lot here. We got a lot of uh, a lot of good games coming up. Week six is a lot of fun. If you're not paying attention to UConn versus UMass, battle of the winless teams. Both teams looking to get off the schneid for the first time in over a year and a half, almost two years for both of them. Uh, UConn UMass. The game of the game of the week, headlined by a couple of the games of the week, a top five battle between Iowa and Penn State. Some big time stuff. 
For Tony Pauline, I'm Cam Meller. This was Between the Ashes. See you next week.